0: At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: Welcome back to Calcio e Cappuccino this week, now available wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we're heading into a pivotal pivotal match week for Serie A. Uh, with me, as always, Dre Cordero and Marco Messina today. To uh, dive into the the hottest topics we could possibly go for. Um, But first off, if you haven't yet subscribed to P Plus and you're not going to want to miss the coverage this weekend, you're going to want to hit promo code UEFA22. Uh, Again, that's UEFA, U-E-F-A, number two, number two. Get get in there. Uh, We'll dive in real quickly. for, I guess, what we consider probably one of the top matches this weekend. And again, you're going to be able to get those matches on Paramount Plus and a combination of Paramount Plus and CBS Sports Network this weekend from 11.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, with me, I have Dre, who's on the call for at least three matches this weekend. Right, Dre?
2: Yeah, we're f- focusing our coverage around the three huge games uh, this weekend, Saturday. Um, will be on air on Paramount Plus exclusively from 11.30 a.m. to 5.00 p.m. with the feature match being Fiorentina against Inter. We'll sink into that a little bit on Sunday, also from 11.30 to 5.00 p.m. on air. Two games that uh, Matteo well, Bonetti and I will be on the call for, Atalanta-Lazio, which is absolute fire, and Roma-Napoli, which, you know, have your pick. All three of these games are incredible, but a good place to start is Atalanta and Lazio because it is the top four matchup of the weekend in Serie A. And there's a lot of talk around Gasparini Gasperini's disciples, Gaspidini's tactics, the changes we've seen from Atalanta this season, because it's not exactly the same way they've gone about it in the past, um, but they're going to be sort of severely tested this weekend by an immobile-less uh, immobile uh, Mauricio Sarri and Lazio Marco.
3: Yeah, by the way, Dre, I don't think you and Bonetti are working enough. You guys got to step it up. Very yeah, easy. <laughs> only three games this weekend. And, and I think you only have to do Europa League today. Right.
2: That's it? <laughs> I was I was so excited. So, oh, good. No, no Champions League this week. So, you know, we'll get the chance to dive into nothing but Serie A. But no, we're doing Arsenal, PSV uh, later today with Ray Hudson, which I'm really looking forward to. And then these three huge matches. To be honest, Marco, like I wouldn't have wanted any other way. When when I am giving the time off and I'm watching the game at home, I'm just kind of disappointed and biting my fingernail, pushing I was on the call. So it's all good. Are you, are you like
3: commentating at home? Like when you watch a regular game, are you in your head like commentating?
2: Are you kidding me? I'm sitting there with an adult beverage, tuning in and out, trying to like, you know, (laughs) wrestle the control back from my for my kids so I don't have to watch, you know, some uh, preschool song or whatnot. So, no, it's a very, very different level of attention.
1: How do you I don't know how you turn it off, though. I'm going to be honest, like I'm sitting there taking notes like I'm in school usually when I'm watching.
2: Can I say something? it's more? It's more about it's more about turning it on. I I, I genuinely do not watch soccer the same way when I'm calling. If I'm calling it on monitor, clearly, if I'm at the stadium, it's a very different vibe. But off monitor, I I do not watch it the same way. If I'm on the call versus watching, you know, casually, even if it's a game that I know I'm going to talk about, the level of like concentration and just overall attention that it gets, it's not the same as, as commentary. There's really nothing like it, which is why sometimes we walk out of the booth and my brain is absolute mush. Like you asked me what happened in the fifth minute, I don't remember. Like it's just it's been through the ring knowing that i I
1: appreciate you even more because quite frankly i i miss hearing your voice on the call on matches that you don't call it's like this familiarity i'm like where's dre
2: (laughs) i love that i like to think it's like a stockholm syndrome like people have heard us on city Ass so much that it just doesn't sound the same when when we're not on it but uh, but i'll take the compliment i'll just shut up and take the compliment
3: Uh, my my mom will text me randomly and be like how come dre and mateo are not on i can't listen anymore so there we go
2: yeah, uh, all of our commentators are wonderful. I don't want to disparage any of them. Uh, so let's dive into uh, Atalanta against Lazio. How, I mean, obviously Immobile being out is a big miss, but let's, let's begin with Lazio. Cause I think we have a lot to talk about with Atalanta and with Gasperini. With Lazio, there's been some experimentation with, you know, Sergei milinkovic savage potentially filling in as an emergency center forward at times. It looks like at least in the projected lineups, it'll be Felipe Anderson to fill in. It's been a long time since Felipe Anderson has been consistently good at his natural position, let alone as a center forward. And so are Lazio in serious trouble in the absence of of Immobile or do they have enough um, to stay competitive for a top four, top six spot?
3: Well, I I think that, listen, what they've done so well this year, Lazio is defending defensive wise. They've been amazing. I think they got the best defense in the league with only like five goals conceded, which is not what you would expect from both the Mauricio Sadi team and even a Lazio team just by the way that they've gone in recent years. So I think that helps them. But I do think without Immobile, they're going to lack a lot on top. You know, Pedro has has come in. He's come out. They said that they tested Milinkovic-Savic even as a center forward. The good thing, the good news, is that the reason why Immobile gets so many chances is because that midfield is because Milinkovic-Savic is always on. Luis Alberto creates so many opportunities. And it's really 11 players that help create opportunities for that center forward. So I think it's a dream situation for Felipe Anderson to come into because he's has the belief around the players around him. But I am scared at how they're going to be able to score without Chido and because if you look at the last five years, I think I saw a stat that he only missed 13 games in five years for Lazio, which is phenomenal. How will they deal with that with him out until 2023? I don't know. I, I think it's going to be tough, especially against an Atalanta side who also defend really well.
1: I think Atalanta though are starting to really regain a lot of that shape from probably their more successful season. They looked really, really good against uh, Sassuolo. But with that, that match was also the first time they've conceded before the half this season. Um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe they're that Atalanta, maybe they're not. But I'm putting a lot of um, my faith in Lookman. The kid's on fire. Like, he actually, I'm excited. He looks good. Um, their passing's really fluid. He's what now, like, four matches, four goals, something to that effect at this point, if I'm misspeaking, it could be three. Um, I I think that Atalanta could could hand um, Lazio the L this weekend.
2: I have absolutely no idea what to make of Lazio outside of the Stadio Olimpico. Right. You look at their, their last five away games, you go back to a late, um August, they draw one-one against a terrible Sampdoria side uh in Modena. They lose five-one to Midtjylland in the Europa League, and you think, wow, they're in real trouble. Then they fire back, winning you know two of the next three outside of their their home stadium. They beat Cremonese four-nil, uh, and they just put four past Fiorentina. Which you know, say what you want about Fiorentina, they're they're I think a very good side, and we'll talk about them coming forward. But how can you draw away to Stumgratz nil-nil, lose to Midtjylland five-one, and then hold teams like Udinese? Um, and Fiorentina. They don't make a ton of sense to me, the lack of consistency for them, especially when they're outside of Rome.
3: Yeah, it's a a good point. I mean, I think the Europa League is kind of to the side. I think that we know how some Italian teams are in in the Europa League, how how seriously they take the competition. Uh, You know, Marito Sari has even said, I think he called it a burden at one point. I don't know if it was this season or the last one. Um, So that aside, yeah, it's true. Their home support has been really good. Uh, But I think against... It's weird because... I didn't expect it from either of these teams. If you told me coming into this how how good either of these sides would look and the style that they would be playing, I wouldn't I wouldn't believe it. You know, with the amount of goals that they scored and the, the amount that they've conceded, so it's an unusual look, and I think it's it's kind of hard to predict either of these. They they both have coaches with similar ideas in terms of the way that they want to play their football. But for me, the biggest thing is that Atalanta is a tough team to break down. They're not that. Obviously, we know they're not the same Atalanta of years past. Where they score one goal, no, they, they need a second. They get a third goal, no, we need a fourth. No, they're more pragmatic. Um, they they understand how to manage a game, but they also make the game extremely physical. They will make it so damn hard to break them down. And they've got a good mix of young kids because they've got two Italian, two young Italian center backs mixed with Demiral in the back line with Ocoli and uh, Scalvini. They're, they've been doing so good, but then they mix it well with the uh, experienced players. Like they Who's kind of like the anchor. I see him as the anchor of the team, not scared to get dirty, take a player down. And then Luis Muriel, who's kind of transitioned into this, like fantasista of the team. He drops back. He looks for space. He's got great vision that mix. It's extremely hard to break them down. And then you pop in more players like Sophie, who was brought in for Udinese, who had two assists on the weekend and was brilliant all week. And they all play for each other. There's no selfishness within the squad. That's a tough team to break down if you're Lazio.
2: I think there's, there's – when we talk about not, it not being the same Atalanta, like I believe it's the same – um, quality of Atalanta as when they were finishing top three under Gasparini the three years before last season's really weird sort of home form in Bergamo where they couldn't seem to, to get it done in front of one of the best sort of crowds in all of Serie A. I think they're at the level now where you expect Atalanta to compete for definitely top four, but I'd argue back to getting on the Serie A podium as they had previously under Gasparini. But it's different in how they're going about it, right? Because, and, and it's, it's particularly interesting to me now that you have all of these Gasparini disciples managing in Serie A. Uh, this season, we've seen... Uh, the most recent Salvatore Bocchetti uh, taking over from Chiofi in Verona. Ivan Juric, obviously, has been at Torino doing a great job. Tiago Mota has been you know, promising at Bologna, and and Palladino has completely I transformed know. Monza. These are four guys who used to play under Gasperini on that uh, Genoa team that in, I believe it was 8 uh finished fifth, and they just missed out on a top four uh, finish in a Champions League spot on the head-to-head tiebreaker with Fiorentina that year. But it's about as good as Genoa have maybe ever looked for as long as I've been watching them. And it was that sort of, that Genoa team that got Gasperini to you know, get hired by Inter later on, that got him the Atalanta job. It was just, they, they went to new heights. And now his players... His former players using sort of his sink. What do you think about when you think of a Gasperini team? You think of you know high pressing, high intensity, verticality. You know not possession for possession's sake, but trying to get as close to goal as possible with as few passes as possible. Wing backs who make runs into the uh, opposition's box. Selfless center forwards who can hold the ball up and are physical. Uh, goal scoring attacking midfielders like Mario Pasalic, for example, or Papu Gomez um, when he was there. And yet, Gasperini currently. Is a little bit of a different manager, it seems, for this Atalanta team. This is a team that's a little bit more withdrawn, more, you know, happy to sit in the mid block as opposed to just that ravenous pressure against the opposition, but being effective. And I think we're seeing in Gasperini uh, an ability to adapt to maybe mm-hmm. whether it's the players that he has now or whether it's the, the way that the league has changed, but certainly different from how he found success at Atalanta the last couple of seasons. And yet this year seems to be working anywhere because Atalanta are currently second only behind Napoli.
3: I think what's so funny about that is that I, I think about – like when you say that, and, and I have the same feeling about Gasparini's disciples, these guys are leading on. I think back to when I was taught Serie and taught Calcio by my dad and my grandpa and all the guys around me, and they used to tell me, oh, this coach is from Saki because Saki really reinvented right. things, and he brought new ideas to Italy. And I think Gasperini kind of brought that as well. Like, we didn't see those, those types of formations, uh, you know, the three-man backline as much, that sort of high-pressing. And it goes through generations. There's obviously cycles and then who leads down those. I think Gasperini, just to answer, like, kind of what you're saying, I think he's had to adapt based off the team that he has. And for me, that's always the sign of a great coach. Like, anyone could throw money at a team – and yes, while that's a skill of a coach to be able to manage those types of players and personalities, which Gasparini has kind of felt like when he's gone to the big level, you know, maybe he's got this sort of um, different relationship with top players. He seems to like younger guys because they listen to him or guys who haven't won that much. I think he's had to adapt based off the market that Atalanta has been. And for me, that's what I love about a coach. He's been able to change his identity because, yes, it's it's sort of a lot of the similar players, a lot of the same styles, but a different identity under him. And he's had to change himself. I remember this quote. I feel like I sorry, ahead, I, I remember this quote, just the last thing. I, I don't remember who said it, but they said, you know, a great coach is like a great tailor. He needs to be able to adapt himself to the materials that he has at his display to be able to create a good suit. So I don't know that that popped into my head about Gasparini.
2: You Indian. definitely, you definitely heard that in Italian and translated to English because that, that has a very uh, <laughs> man, Italian sort of answer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're like that's clunky. That had to be Italian, but um, I think Probably. no, I think that's bang on. But the other thing with Gasparini, to the point that he is such a good manager and he's able to be a little bit more nimble and adjust to the team that he has is. He also has, I think, this unmatched ability to instill confidence in the younger players that he brings on because their movements, like the chemistry that's in that squad is not something that um, should be discounted. I I think that you can see in their movement, their passing. It's fun to watch because they seem like they actually are a solid squad. And I think that a lot of that credit does go to Gasparini.
2: Think about how important um, Apu Gomez was to uh, the, the Atalanta team that was finishing top three consistently. Like, he moves on, Atalanta are still successful. Think about how important Josip Ilicic was, you know, before he was dealing with his own personal issues and having his falling out with Gasperini, Ilicic is gone, and Atalanta continued to tick away. And they do it, you know, year in, year out, adding players that we're not that familiar with. Like, Scalvini came up, I think he was a defensive midfielder. He spent most of his time, you know, actually getting first team minutes, part of a back line that, that is now, you know, two of the youngest three Defenders, I think you'll find in Serie A starting consistently, maybe something to do with the injury to Toloi, but Ocoli and Scalvini on either side of Demiral, as is projected to be the starting back three against Lazio this week. Maybe that's why he's had to change. Maybe that's why he's had to sort of back the team up a little bit, not be as aggressive, you know, maybe limit the the situations where you can put these players in a position to make a mistake. Um, but what I think is just so impressive is how, even in reinventing the squad, He still continues to compete above teams that have significantly higher payrolls and much more known players than what Gasperini has at Atalanta, and I would include Lazio, for example. Like Lazio, are not anywhere near them right now. And I would say, if you just looked at their squad, you'd take Lazio's squad over Atalanta in a pickup game, wouldn't you?
3: Uh, Eleven, yeah. We talk about quality-wise, yeah. But when when they have to go into a battle, I don't know these these Atalanta guys. They're they're scary when when they play honestly. Like I see how hard they hit. And they kind of mix that that sort of grittiness with technique. But yeah, it, you know, if you're looking at them one off, you choose uh, you choose lots of players because they're a little bit more technical. They like to move the ball a little bit more. That's that's kind of the style that I like. But no, it's a testament to to both of both of the managers and both of the clubs because they both have that sort of identity. And I think that's why it leads to being such an exciting match between the two.
2: So the reason I wanted to lead off with Atalanta and, and talk about Gasperini specifically is because we came across um, 442 magazines' top 50 managers uh, earlier this week, and these lists are not meant to be taken seriously. Um, they're just sort of part clickbait and part, you know, just discussion topics to, to talk about who's been snubbed and do they have the right order. Um, so without taking it all too seriously, there are seven managers uh, that are currently in Serie A that were added uh, to 442's list of the 50 best managers in world football right now, and it's interesting because. Of the seven managers, only three have won a Scudetto, and they're sort of placed throughout. Like The the highest ranked is Stefano Pioli, fresh off of his Scudetto, maybe a little recency bias there, but there's no question that what Pioli did with Milan last season was impressive, bringing about the end of that just over a decade-long title drought. He's a fifth out of the 50. Then there's nobody else until you get to 23rd, and that 23rd is Gasperini, which has Gasparini ahead of Spalletti at 27, Mourinho at 35, Juric at 36, Vincenzo Italiano at 46, and Maurizio Sarri at 49. Sarri has won a Scudetto, Mourinho has won a pair of them, as well as all the other trophies that he won elsewhere, and Pioli won uh, a Serie A title. Neither Gasperini, nor Spalletti, nor Judic, nor Italiano have. What do you guys make of that particular ranking or that particular list? You'll notice that a guy who's won six Scudetti in his career is not among the top 50, and I can understand why Massimo, uh, Maximiliano Allegri was left out of this list.
1: I think this list definitely suffers from a bit of recency bias and fair enough, right? We're in 2022, the game continues to evolve, but uh, some of those snubs are pretty significant. Um, I think in, in speaking to just sort of Gasparini's style and things like that, um, I think that falling in line with more of that, like, attacking, pressing. Like, I like Italiano. I don't know that I would have put him that high in that list, quite frankly. But I do think he's deserving to be there. I think that's probably my top com. I'm not... Okay, sure
2: hang on. He's, so, he's, yeah. he's, 40, he's 46 out of 50. He's so, you maybe, wouldn't have him that high, but you would have him on the list. So, is he 47, 48, 49, or 50? Like, maybe, you don't have that many other maybe options. He's
1: like, maybe he's, right. like, 49 for me. I gotcha. don't know. I, I think that I would spalletti for me would be
2: higher um spalletti is a third so you're... so among among the among the current city i managers you have Pioli one gasperini two mm-hmm. spalletti three Mourinho four Udic five italiano six and Maurizio sarri seven is Sarri being disrespected a bit here he's again one of only three of them that have won a, a trophy plays more attractive football than most of the, the managers on this list. Uh again, this is 442 magazine, which I believe is based in England. So they'll, <laughs> they'll have heavily weighed his sort of Chelsea stint uh against him. But it, it seems to me that Sarri would be higher on this among these seven managers. Certainly than Italiano, maybe even than over uh, uh Ivan Urich as much as I like him.
3: I'm gonna be honest with you. I stopped reading the list after I saw Ancelotti was in second when he won La Liga and <laughs> Champions
2: League. I'm be I, I I I closed it out when they had Southgate at number 50. I thought, okay, we started the wrong way, but I just I just wanted to focus, focus this on just the managers that were currently instead. Yeah.
3: They want us to talk about this. This is, this is, this is the whole goal. is to get us riled up. I'm not falling.
1: Yeah. I'm like, was this the bait? And we took it. Cause I feel like I feel some kind of way about One it, more but doesn't yeah, mean,
3: need to do? Oh, come on, come on, <laughs> whatever.
1: I mean, where would I? Did, I didn't get a chance to look at it too closely. I quickly skimmed it this morning, but I did see mention of Conte, and so there yeah. are certainly other Italian managers in there that oh, are. Oh, for sure. trend.
2: Um, I, No, they're they're on. So, kind of so Conte's on the list. Ancelotti's on the list. I just I just limited it to the. City, the, the managers that are currently in City, because yeah, that's what I found to be most interesting. That Pioli would be yeah, that high up, curious. that he would be the fifth best manager on the planet right now, um, and that there would be nobody, no other City manager until Gasperini, who's probably not the guy who first comes to mind for most uh, fans when you think of the top managers in City. Yeah, even though he, in my opinion, absolutely deserves to be one of the top three.
1: I think contextually, though, Drea, do you think they got the current prem manager bump? Some of those like Conte, or you think that it, it's warranted?
2: I think the list is utterly ridiculous. I was more interested okay. in what your opinions were. Tell
1: me how you really uh, feel. I think it's absurd. Um no, I I appreciate that. That's hysterical.
2: It feels like this is probably a good time to to take our first break and come back to preview the two games that we'll have, or well, two of the games we'll have this weekend, Fiorentina Inter and napoli You know.
1: And if you haven't yet subscribed to p your promo code for a free month is UEFA22.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Okay, so our coverage on Saturday, uh, kicking off at 1130 a.m. Eastern with Poppy Miller in studio. He'll have the usual cast of characters, Marco Messina, uh, who's with us today, uh, Mike Grella. Matteo Bonetti, um, is going to be the Fiorentina-Inter matchup. And there is a report that Romelu Lukaku is just about to make his return. He trained uh, today with the team. Um, He should be at least on the bench for this one with a target for getting his first start in that big Champions League match against Victoria Pilsen, where Inter could really sort of seal their their Champions League fate and and progress to the next round. But focusing in on this weekend, uh, Inter's visit to the Artemio Franchi to take on Fiorentina. Lukaku could make an appearance off the bench, um, but just your general thoughts on... Let's start with Fiorentina, maybe, because they're, I think, the most puzzling team in Serie A. They play beautiful football. They're, in my opinion, appointment viewing. You, You have to watch them. They dominate games, not just through possession for possession's sake, but they have the ball in the opposition's half, uh, even more uh, even more so at times in a team like Napoli, which is known for that. Um, they create chances, they just can't seem to score and haven't found a Vlahovic replacement, forget a Vlahovic replacement, something serviceable at the number nine position, right? Not, I'm not even asking for somebody who's gonna give you the volume of goals that Dusan Vlahovic gave you. I just want somebody that you can start confidently. And they've tried obviously Cabral, um, They tried Piantic, who has since moved on. They don't seem to. Ha- uh, they now have Jovic in that position, who basically is living off of one good season in the Bundesliga. They don't have a guy that could put the ball in the back of the net with some consistency. And when they are flying, when they're playing really, really well, they get goal contributions from all sorts of places, right? Like they're they've, they've lit it up against some teams. But what I mean is, a guy who, when you're not playing all that well, can get it done by himself, or you know, can, like a, like a Vlahovic. There were games when Fiorentina weren't playing particularly well, but the ball came into Vlahovic in the final third. He took on three players and scored. There's nothing like that at Fiorentina right now, and they're really struggling to score goals with any consistency and they've
3: only won two games a season and both of them are bottom of the table teams Verona and Cremonese I mean for a team like Fiorentina this is not what the expectations were you know they're finally back into Europe which I think is one of the things that's that's hurting them um, I, I think that you know we're watching a team that's trying to manage three different competitions and a coach who Italiano for as much praise as we've given him he's also learning as we go along as well and he's learning how he has to manage the team I remember counting. I I remember I was tallying up how many changes he was making every games in his first European matches. Now I lost count, but that's not easy for him. And then I think that while he thrives so much on his team scoring goals, they scored eight goals this season. That is not what Vincenzo Italiano wants and they don't have a proper goal score. And that makes everything more difficult. There's no confidence that as much as they'll create throughout the midfield. And I think they've done a lot of things well, which is so weird. And, and I know, Dre, you and I, we, we like to go deep on this, like how a team starts playing compared to the results. So I think that they are coming. I think they are coming because they're doing a lot of their things correctly. But where are goal goals going to start forming? The only other positive that I see from them besides, you know, the possession, I think they have like the fourth most fourth or fifth most shots on target. And Dre, maybe you know better than I do, uh, which is, you know, they're good things coming is Kwame on the wing. He's been one yeah. of the, the bright spots for me that he looks exciting. He's been good at dribbling. I, he's got their most goals, which is only like two, but so it's not saying too much.
2: But so he's the only—he's the only—he's the only Viola player that has scored more than once in City this season. They have eight goals by seven different goal scorers. Right, the rest of it is is spread out. Some midfielders, some defenders have scored goals, and so I think the really concerning sign, like yes, you can take a more. And I appreciate you taking the optimistic look on it, which is, hey, they're creating chances or dominating possession. This will eventually tilt back in their favor. And I worry that it's the opposite. I worry that it's without a dependable number nine because you know even their wide players while they can score goals when everything is clicking listen they put five goals past hearts in the Europa League the the last uh, home game um, for them a 5-1 win so when everything is clicking they can get goals from a bunch of different places but when it's not necessarily then I think this may just be what Fiorentina is a team that has the ball that creates a ton that will shoot a bunch but they're not the greatest shots or the greatest you know sort of shot takers
1: how long do you wait for that tilt optimistically to happen you know right now to place things contextually they're sitting in 13th one spot ahead of monza who also had a really abysmal start um until mota got on board so it's just interesting to see a team that has so much promise have such a well other than the service issue somewhat unexplicable um like just sort of dissolving over last season to this one. You know, the fact that Vlaovic makes that much of a difference for that entire squad kind of points to some other issues.
3: Are you alluding to second Vincenzo Italiano?
1: (laughs) No,
3: absolutely not. I I was about to flip out.
1: I think we need to have more of these sort of younger, um, like, managers with some grinta that want to get things happening and popping off. I just want to see it, you know, maybe happen more successfully than it is this season for them.
2: Jovic the, the is injured to them. as well, right? I do not have Jovic as. In- well, he, hang on, he, got, I'll, I'll, he I'll, went I'll,
3: off. He went off injured in their in their match against Leche. Um, i didn't you. get a chance to see how, how serious. I mean, not that. Yeah,
2: so he is. No he's, well. he, he, he So he's one of three players missing, and I, I would argue that these are three sort of important players when it comes to creating goal scoring chances. Um, Sotil is absent. He's been uh, really good for them when he's been healthy. Castrovili has been dealing with a long-term injury. We haven't seen him in a minute. And Jovic would be the other one, even though Jovic hasn't really shown us anything to say that he's the one dependable guy that without him, they can't sort of function. But neither has Cabral been. neither was Piontek when he was there. They just really don't have that guy at the moment. Uh, On the inter side, Lukaku's return is massive, and, and it comes at a moment when Barcelona seemed to be the best thing that happened to Inter, right? Because Inzaghi was being heavily questioned. There was talk about, you know, sure, Allegri doing as as poorly as as Juve had done, maybe took some of the pressure off of Inter Azzurri, but at the beginning of the season, they were sort of the odds-on favorites to win the Scudetto this year. They didn't look like a Scudetto contender. Two games against Barcelona, two wins against Barca have changed a lot for them. And now they get back the guy that was supposed to be sort of a difference maker from falling just short last season, where Inter could have very easily been champions last year. Uh, you know, it went down to the final match day uh, between them and Milan. Um, I think La, uh, La, Lukaku was brought in to be that difference maker, that tilting point. And now he returns with Inter sort of rediscovering themselves at just the right moment.
3: I think that Inter have turned things around. And, you know, the recent results in, in Serie A, I think the wins against Asuolo, uh, against La also Lautaro Martinez getting back on the score sheet. He was doing a lot, kind of like, You know, not to say it's like Fiorentina, but he was doing a lot of the right things. He was constantly getting himself in the right positions. He just couldn't buy a goal, and now he's getting back on track. But I think that the biggest thing is it's the attitude of the team. And I listened to Bastoni's uh, press conference after their last match against Salernitana. And he said, you know, we had a moment of reflection within the squad where we realized we were complaining too much. All the players were arguing, we were pointing fingers at each other. And I think that's one of the things we've talked about a lot here is that you would see Barella pointing at Bastoni and Sclinier pointing at Lautaro, which is not what you want in a group atmosphere, especially when things are going wrong. And Bastoni said, We we brought the entire group together and we said, Guys, enough excuses. Let's get together. Let's bring this back on track because they have the quality within their squad. And I think that's the biggest thing. They believe in their manager, you know, a team that If Inzaghi had lost the locker room, like a lot of the newspapers were saying, you wouldn't get that sort of reaction from the group. And then they found players that popped up in positions we were worried about. Brozovic comes out. Hakan Nolo comes in as a regista, and he was phenomenal both in distribution but also winning the ball back. Those sort of things really matter, and I think that they've turned things around for Inter.
2: There's two guys that I would say have been the, the two standouts for me with Inter and they're almost sort of unsung heroes normally. Um, but I think during this if we want to call it a turnaround for, for the Azzurri, um, It's Hakan, as you mentioned, filling in for Brozovic because we all had serious questions as to whether this team could really function without Brozo. And then the other is Federico Di Marco, right? Who for so much of the last couple of seasons was a kind of an emergency center back, a guy who would fill in on the, like the Ambrosio would fill in as an emergency center back on the right. And Di Marco would fill in as an emergency center back on the left. Now Di, DiMarco, both for Italy and for Inter, is getting to play where he feels more comfortable as a wing back, where he can be adventurous, where he can get forward and attack. And he's turned that into goals, into assists. Yeah, he leaves some spaces at the back. They've got three good center backs there to sort of help, and he plays on Bastoni's side. Um, So I think DiMarco and Hakan Celanoglu have been the two, just the ones that really have shined over this period when, you know it was going to tilt into a season one way or the other. Either they were going to be looking like a team that may have to change managers next summer, if not earlier, or a team that really can compete for the Scudetto, can try and challenge to catch up uh, with with Napoli, with Atalanta at the top. That said, they're currently seventh.
3: And also, Barella. I think we got to throw Barella into the mix. I was trying to guess your two players as we're saying it. And uh, I was thinking maybe Barella would be in there. Because for me, over the past couple – oh, yeah, over the past couple matches, I feel like him too he has been a leader. Like I remember him for for a couple years now. And he would constantly get like yellow cards. He would constantly be arguing. He would – he does a lot of things great. I feel like also now he kind of had like a moment with himself of like, all right, I need to be one of the leaders of this team. And he can be because he has everything. Sometimes he overdoes it and he tries almost too hard. Like, he's just constantly running this little, like, the little engine that could type, right? And, you know, it's it's worked, but it's also been against him. And I think now I've seen, like, such a maturity from him that that he's one of the best players to watch for me in the midfield.
2: We talked about Fiorentina getting sort of goals from everywhere and nowhere at the same time because it's, it's only eight goals. Um, with Inter, you see you see Inzaghi's imprint and, and how things have changed in that. I think under Antonio Conte, much more dependent on the two men up top, uh, Lukaku and Lautaro. Uh, Hakimi was a guy who got them a ton of goals, uh, in the Scudetto season, uh, two years back, uh, this year, they're getting major goal scoring contributions, I think from the midfield, right? So almost half their goals have come from, uh, midfielders and wingbacks, Lautaro, Dzeko, Correa, and Lukaku combined for 10 goals in Serie A so far, Barella, Brozovic, Dumfries, Hakan, and Dimarco combined for eight goals as well. So you're seeing a team that, yeah, they can defend well, They they always have been doing that, although they haven't kept a lot of clean sheets, uh, at home of late. Um, So they're playing well overall, but they're also finding goals from unexpected places. Like, you don't expect for necessarily, you know, uh, Brozovic, Barella, and Di Marco to be getting goals in Serie A and they have.
1: Yeah, I feel like Di Marco, for me, though, started to emerge more as like, hey, he might be a much better player than I initially thought, especially for Italy. And that could have just been subject to my biases against Inter initially, but I feel like a lot of that spilled over where he's he I he's much better than I had initially thought. I'm gonna be honest.
2: We're we're nothing if not transparent as you admit to your biases <laughs> against uh yeah. Inter. And you know what? You're not alone. Listen, when when Udinese um beat uh Inter a couple of weeks back uh, De gave an interview where he was talking about sort of the strengths and weaknesses of Inter and he called Di Marco one of their weaknesses he says that you know he's, he's a little too adventurous he leaves spaces at the back that you can exploit when I mentioned him playing on the same side as Bastoni Bastoni is himself a very adventurous center back he's one of the most especially when he's playing well one of the most attacking central defenders that I've ever seen and you can afford to do that when you have three at the back you know one of those guys could, could get forward one of the midfielders drops in to help especially if it Brozovic is there who can almost become an auxiliary centre back. Um, Um, But Di Marco, who was sort of highlighted as a a weakness by one of the opponents after the loss to Udinese, um, has looked over the last couple of games, big moments against, you know, Barcelona and and for Italy, like a real strength on this intersect.
3: I wish they let Dimarco respond right there. They should have showed that video of De La Feo and just been like,
2: all right, what's this guy? That's a trauma I would start. Lufeo can do no wrong right now. He's playing out of his mind. The Ludinese are brilliant. Even if not, no longer, you know, top three like they were uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Lufeo can say whatever he wants and they'll get no reproach from me. Let's, let's move on to Roma-Napoli because that's going to be the last game that we have full coverage around this weekend. It's sixth place to Roma against the league leaders, Napoli. And I'm impressed that we've made it this far without mentioning Napoli once because I feel like... That's where we've gotten the most joy so far this season, and we have waxed poetically about them. Best for so, last,
3: yeah. Dre. Best for but, last.
2: Well, in that case, then let's let's begin with Roma and, and the absence of DiBala Um, and and Mourinho, who's again midway of this the, the seven top managers in the City the 442, Mourinho, the most successful among them, is smack in the middle of that. So, how do you assess the job that Mo has done this year with uh the Rossi? Listen,
3: I I, I we we got into this discussion a little bit with the rest of the crew and uh, a lot of people being negative about Roma's uh, playing style or it's not entertaining or it's not exciting, blah, 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 blah. The end of the day, are they playing the best? No. Should they be scoring more goals compared to the chances that they have? Yes. But they are in fourth place, and I know that this is a huge if, but if they did get a result against Napoli, I mean, they're right there competing, and the goal is to get into Champions League. I'm not saying everything is perfect. There's a lot of things that need to be improved. I think players last year that, uh, that stepped up haven't at that same level. Tammy Abraham being one of them who at the moment just, you know, he can't get his rhythm going. But I do believe in him. I think, again, uh, when things click, and maybe, Dre, you're going to say I'm an optimist again like my Fiorentina. but I think
1: when things <laughs> click,
3: I think that he's going to start scoring in scoring goals, and that's when things will look a lot better. Zaniolo is another one who, I mean, you give him a hundred balls and and the guy is not able to finish into the back of the net unless when it's off sides. And then that's when, when he's able to finish Um, even Pellegrini, who for me, I love him. I love him so much. And I know he scored um, at the weekend, but he hasn't been that same level. So they're suffering from that sort of aspect, that individual aspect, but they're still in fourth place. So again, I think that they are doing a lot of the things the right way. And they're another one of those teams that I see as difficult to beat when you go one-on-one because they're not scared to make things dirty. So that's where I stand on Roma.
1: I think, though, the way that things are shaping up thus far, we're just getting into the spicy part of the season right before we head into World Cup. And I feel like a lot of things will shift this weekend particularly. I I think we're due for, like, an upset of a game where there's a shock loss and... This shifts a bit, right? And it, maybe it will be Roma Napoli. I mean, how long does Napoli manage to make this run for? What do we What do you think? We think they're going to be uh, invincible the rest of the season.
3: <laughs> I want to know what Dre was smirking about. I saw the little right. smirk.
2: Yeah, Poppy Miller was coming in through my uh, headphones here. I'm in the booth preparing for uh, the Arsenal PSP game, oh. and then all of a sudden, like one of the <laughs> one of this one of the headsets started speaking to me. So, uh, apologies for that. Um, yeah, with with uh, Roma, I mean, what. I don't see that Napoli is going to be necessarily invincible the rest of the season, but they do look head and shoulders above the rest of this league and they're deep enough. We talked about it. I don't want to quantify or qualify too much, but we talked about what a disruptive World Cup it's been smack in the middle um, and how it'll be really like two seasons uh, where once we resume, you know, we'll see what kind of advantage Napoli has. But just on the balance of what we have seen uh, 10 games into the year, they're the best on both sides of the ball in Serie A. And I think there have competition. I think Milan will compete. I think Atalanta will continue to compete throughout, but this does really feel like something special. And I've heard, uh, I think we talked about this last week. I've heard the people who say yes? Yeah, the same thing with Napoli every year. They always start well, going back to Walter Mazzarri and especially Maurizio Sarri when they were challenging. Uh, I don't think this is the same as that. Yes, they they tended to start well and then maybe trail off the last you know month or two of the season. But this has looked different. The way that they've dominated teams, not just uh, domestically but in continental competition. yeah. The, the way they, the way they've swapped uh, players in, and those players look like they've been there for a decade. Cavada and Minje, uh, especially now even losing Anguiza like they have to an injury for I think uh, a month. Or a couple of weeks. Um, you know, Ndombele steps in and he's contributed to that team as well. I think they're the deepest team. Uh, they look certainly the most talented team. And the return of Victor Oseman, who just seems so horny to score when he came back in off the bench, he was just, he got called offside a couple of times. It was a game that was already, you know, they were already blowing out the opposition. They were going to win it. But you saw that hunger in Oseman because of how well Raspadori has done, because of how good Cholito Simeone has been when he's come off the bench. Like, this is a team that I think believes that they're on the cusp of something truly special. And and for them, that just means winning the first Scudetto since Diego Maradona was playing for them 30 years ago.
1: I want this so badly for them, I'm not going to lie. And going back and forth between regular Serie A schedule and also Champions League, which upcoming this week, October 25th and 26th at Brooklyn Bridge Park, we'll be doing Destination Brooklyn. The whole broadcast group for Champions League will be there. Um, and they'll be kicking off against the Rangers. Um, so... It'll be interesting for Napoli, Napoli Rangers, Juve, Benfica, AC Milan, Dinamo Zagreb, and then Inter will be facing off against Victoria Pilsen uh, next week. So I just wanted to make sure we squeeze that in to mayor yeah. mention because, you know, some of these teams are doing battle, especially Napoli.
2: When, when Cupo sneaks in the uh, promos, that means it's time for us to say goodbye. And I think we'll do this again uh, <laughs> next week on Thursday. Again, our coverage Saturday and Sunday from 11.30 a.m. to 5.00 p.m. Eastern. Uh, exclusively on Paramount Plus on Saturday. A mix of Paramount Plus and CBS Sportsnet on Sunday. Join us for all of it, especially the uh, three main games. Fiorentina-Inter, Atalanta-Lazio, Roma-Napoli for Christian Cupo and Marco Messina. I'm Drake Cordero. We'll do it again on Thursday. See you guys. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus.
3: What brings you to the
0: show. Opportunity.
3: Everybody get down!
0: Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The
2: Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit paramountplus.com slash the shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.